0: Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Thank you, Captain.
1: Well, as Chris said, over the last couple of weeks, we've been thinking about the kinds of doubts and obstacles that people have to the Christian faith, and we've been looking at real doubts and real objections that people have, the people that we've talked to, the people that we've asked, uh, what is it that keeps them from becoming a Christian or from following Jesus? Uh, uh, We've thought about the doubt that God doesn't exist. Uh, We've thought about the obstacle that you don't need Jesus to be a good person, Uh, And today we're thinking about the doubt that there are maybe lots of other ways to God. Uh, And if that's your doubt, uh, if you're here today and you're thinking, yeah, maybe there are other ways to God besides Jesus, I'm guessing that this morning what we're going to think about is is not going to answer every question that you have, but my hope uh, is that it's genuinely helpful for you, that it begins to answer some of the questions that you have, uh, and that it maybe gives you more questions, more things that you need to look into uh, and I hope that if you've come with a friend that you might be able to talk to them about it uh, or you're welcome to uh, talk to me as well after the service. Uh, but I want to pray that God would help us to understand the stuff that we're talking about and then we'll uh, dig into it. So let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that you're a God who makes himself known uh, and thank you that you've made yourself known to us in Jesus Christ And in the Bible, and Father, we ask that as we reflect on uh, this passage now, that you would make yourself known to us this morning. That you would reveal yourself to us, you'd open our eyes so that we can see you uh, and know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, one of the most difficult problems, I think, about religion in general is that there's so many of them. Uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, and, and that's just scratching the surface. Uh, and all of those religions claim to represent what life is about. They, they claim to represent that accurately, and they claim often to, to know something about what happens after this life as well. In the last few decades, though, particularly in the West, uh, the, the view has arisen, I guess, that we're, we're thinking about this morning, that all religions are really essentially the same. Uh, or maybe more to the point, the idea is that behind all religions is essentially the same truth. So many people would say, uh, and this might be, might be your view, uh, many people would say that religion is like a mountain with lots of paths leading up the mountain, lots of different paths from lots of different places around the base, but all of those paths eventually get to the top. They eventually lead to the same point at the top. Uh, Or another classic illustration is of a bunch of uh, blind people who are all holding on to different parts of an elephant. Uh, One has the ear and they say, oh, it's a a parchment, it's a scroll. It's a scroll. And another one has the trunk and they say, oh, it's, no, this it's a snake, that's what it is, it's a snake. And another one has the tail and they say, no, it's a rope that I'm holding on to. And the idea is that all of them have are, are, are touching different parts of the elephant, but actually, really, it's the same elephant. Is that what religion is like? Lots of different bits, but the same mountain and the same animal, the same elephant. It's important, I think, to realise that a large part of the reason that people have adopted that kind of view of religion in the West, that's not a view held in many other places around the world, generally speaking, the reason a lot of people in the West have adopted that view is because, it's not because they've looked at all the religions and they've kind of um, done a detailed comparison and they've drawn up a table, kind of listing all the different parts of different religions and they've uh, and in doing that comparison, they've, they've looked at that and they've said, well, actually, there's lots of things here that are the same. It's not that, that they've done a, a detailed analysis and found that there's this core truth that, that weaves through all of them. Rather, the main reason that people have adopted this idea that all religions are the same is out of a fear of making an exclusive claim about uh, religion and about uh, any one particular re- uh, religion, so the rise of, of postmodernism, modernism kind of this uh, idea that's uh, grown up in the West in the last few decades, uh, that kind of all truth is relative, uh, with the rise of that, a lot of people have become afraid of making a claim to absolute truth. It's seen as a, as a kind of a power play, you know, I'm right and you're wrong. And so the idea that one religion might claim to be right and might say that everyone else is wrong is inherently problematic within that world view. But it's important uh, for us to realise, I think, that in lots of areas of life, if we don't think about religion but just about other areas of life, in those other areas of life we put up with exclusive claims and in fact we need to make exclusive claims about what's true and what isn't true in order to kind of make sense of life. To live profitably and successfully in the world uh, requires us to be able to make decisions about what is true and what is false. Uh, There are lots of ideas that float around about all kinds of things, all kinds of areas of life, and some of them are wrong and some of them are right. And it would be a kind of intellectual suicide, I think, to just pretend that everything was equally true. Uh, You can't build an aeroplane or build a car on the basis that all ideas are equally true. It's just not the case that a square wheel is as good as a round wheel. It just it doesn't work like that, you know? Some engines don't work. Some planes uh, are never going to get off the ground. You can't build your life on the idea that all ideas uh, are equally true. Uh, or take a controversial issue like climate change... There's a number of uh, different positions that people in our world take on that issue. So some people say that climate change is man-made. Some people say uh, that climate change is real but not significantly influenced by humans. And some people say that climate change is not real at all. Now, all three of those positions can't be true. One of them has to be right and the others have to be wrong. Uh, And you might say, well, there's a kind of a spectrum and and there's... you know, Along that spectrum, there are some things that are more true and less true than others. But at the end of the day, there's still a point on the spectrum where those things fall into place, isn't there? And wherever that lands, wherever the truth actually lands, uh, it means that some ideas that about climate change are right and some ideas about climate change are wrong. And the answer to that question matters, doesn't it? It matters making a call on the answer to that question because... It affects the decisions that we make as countries, as people, as as as, as a world community. The fact that there are multiple views uh, doesn't mean on climate change doesn't mean that they're all equally true. Nor does the fact that there are multiple views mean that they're all false. You know, sometimes I always go, "Well, there's, there's different views. We can never know. Let's just give up." In the same way, just because there are multiple religions in the world, it doesn't mean that they're all equally valid or all equally true, and neither does it mean that they're all equally wrong. Life is rarely like that. And you only need, really, to think about some of the more extreme religions in the world to realise the problem with this particular view, that all religions are equally valid. As one writer has pointed out, do we really want to say that um, that religions that encourage child sacrifice are equally valid as equally valid as, as Buddhism, uh, or or we might think of you know um, uh, some of the religious groups that have encouraged their members to uh, into a suicide pact? Are those religions as valid uh, as any other religion in the world? It's transparently not the case. So if you want to hold the all religions of the same position, you really need to start saying things like, well they're all the same and all equally valid except for the ones maybe the ones that have child sacrifice maybe the ones that uh, require people to enter into suicide pacts but as soon as you do that you're making an exclusive claim which is the very thing that people are setting out not to do and why should any of us be the final arbiter of which religions are allowed and which ones aren't and that problem uh of of having to make an exclusive claim actually besets this whole position in general uh so the view that all religions are the same or lead to the same result is actually an exclusive claim of, of its own that is in order to say that all paths lead to the top of the mountain where do you need to be sitting in order to be able to see that you can 't see it from your path on the way up you can 't see it from the base of the mountain you can 't even see it from the summit if you 've ever climbed to the top of a mountain you 'll know that you can 't see where all the paths are going where are they're all leading The only place that you can see where all the paths are going is from ten or twenty thousand feet up in the sky you 're claiming to have an omniscient view a kind of a view of everything that nobody else has and in the same way to be able to to be able to say that well everyone else has a part of the elephant but but uh, it's what they're seeing is, what, uh, what's actually there is a, is a whole elephant. You have to be able to say that you can see what no one else can see. You can stand back and see all the things that only uh, anyone else can only see a part of. That is, in order to say that all religions are essentially the same, is a claim to a kind of superior knowledge that nobody else in the world has while everyone else is stupidly fixated on only one path or only one part of the elephant you're clever enough to be able to see the whole picture but maybe the greatest problem i think with this uh view that all religions are equally valid is that it ignores what the religions themselves say uh the idea that all religions are the same and express the same truth and lead to the same God overlooks the fact that the religions themselves often don't say that. They often make exclusive claims. Uh, they often uh, make claims that contradict with various other religions. And so I want to, what I want to do uh, in the rest of our time this morning uh, is to look at what Jesus himself says about uh, Christianity and what Jesus says about himself. The account that we read there from Matthew chapter 12 begins with a pretty confronting episode. We're told that someone brought to Jesus a man who was demon-possessed. Now, that's not the kind of thing that we're used to talking about or dealing with, but the key thing for us to realise in, uh, in this account, the key thing that we're supposed to take away from what happened here, is that there's a war going on between God and evil, and Jesus wins that battle. Jesus heals this man, this man had been blind and mute and now he's able to see and the people who are watching on are just astonished by what they see and they begin to think to themselves, they ask this question, is this the son of David? That, what they're, they're talking about is, they're asking the question, is this the guy that God had promised long ago through whom God was going to put the world right? Is this the guy, is this the guy that we've been waiting for? So there's a group of people in this crowd who are astonished and begin to think Jesus is, is, is more than just what they see. But not everyone in this crowd is impressed by who Jesus is or what he does. We're told that some of the religious leaders were saying to themselves, verse 24, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. That is, they think that Jesus is working for Satan rather than for God. So these religious leaders set themselves up against Jesus. Uh, and, and Jesus says to them, well, it's pretty stupid for you to think that I must be working for Satan because why would Satan fight against himself? Why would he do that? To do that would be to undermine his own, uh, his own battle plans. Uh, to do that would result in the downfall of Satan's own kingdom uh, and the destruction of everything that he's setting out to do. But if Jesus isn't working for Satan, if he's not working for evil, what's the alternative explanation for who he is and what he's doing? Well, the alternative explanation, Jesus says, is that he must be working for God. So verse 28, but if it's by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus is talking about two realities, two different kingdoms. He's talking about a kingdom that belongs uh, to evil, to Satan, and a, a kingdom that belongs to God. And Jesus is claiming that with his coming into the world, the kingdom of God has come. That is, Jesus is not just working for God. He's not just kind of one worker among many in God's field. Jesus is actually God's king, and the ruler that God has sent into the world in order to establish God's rule and authority over the world. And his miracles and all that he does testifies to that. His miracles and his defeat of Satan and evil demonstrates that he's come into the world to establish God's kingdom, that is, to establish God's rule on the earth. But how does that have anything to do with the question of whether all religions are equally valid, or whether all religions lead to God. Well, it's important to understand exactly what Jesus is trying to demonstrate and claim here. Jesus is making here a claim about authority. Jesus is not just making a claim to be the saviour of those who trust in him. He's making an implicit claim to be God's king. He's the king that God has sent that we need to listen to and follow and trust. Why is that important? It's important because it shifts the ground of this debate from a philosophical discussion about whether anyone can see the whole elephant or not, or whether anyone can see all the paths that lead up the mountain. It shifts the debate from just a debate about um, about that to a debate about allegiance. as a question of allegiance. That is, we're not just talking about a choice between ideas of God and us sitting down and thinking to ourselves, well, which idea of God do I like more? And which idea of God do I like less? And which one am I going to be committed to? Or which parts of different religions am I going to kind of collect together and follow for myself? What we're talking about is not that... We're talking about the presence of a king in our world to whom we owe allegiance. An authority to whom we have an obligation. We're not just talking about which ice cream flavour you would like more than another. We're talking about a king who rules and who demands and who deserves our allegiance. It would be like saying, for instance... Well, I don't like the government of Australia, which might be true. I don't like the government of Australia, so I'm going to live in Australia, but I'm going to give my allegiance to another power. I'm going to give my allegiance to the, to the German government. Uh, and I'll live in Australia under the laws, not of Australia, but of Germany. Uh, and I'll register my car in Germany with a German number plate... Uh, and I'll drive on the right-hand side of the road instead of the left, because that's what they do in Germany. And I'll pay for everything in euros rather than dollars, which is probably cheaper in the long run, I suspect anyway. (laughs) And I won't pay taxes in Australia, that's probably not a clever idea, pay for them in Germany. And I'll speak German rather than English, even though no one will understand me. You see, the claim to live under German rule in Australia might sound like a wonderful idea, but it's implicitly a claim to reject the authority of an established government, the government to whom we owe our allegiance as citizens of this country. And in the same way, to choose to live under the rule and authority of someone other than Jesus is implicitly a claim to reject the authority of Jesus... So to choose to live Buddha's way is a choice in and of itself to reject the authority of Jesus. To choose to live according to the principles of Islam is implicitly a choice to reject the authority of Jesus. Jesus coming into the world constitutes a call to allegiance, to allegiance to him. And we can either recognize Jesus as God's king and submit to him, Or like the religious leaders, we can reject him and follow our own path. So Jesus shows himself in this episode to be God's king, come to establish the rule of God in God's world. But just to make kind of abundantly clear what the stakes are, Jesus makes it clear what's on the table. So he says in verse 30, Whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. In other words what Jesus wants us to understand is not only that he's the king but he wants us to know that there's no middle ground. There's no room for saying well as long as I don't hate Jesus that's okay as long as kind of Jesus is within the the kind of the package of religions that are on the table, that's okay. No, Jesus doesn't leave room for that. Nor does he leave room for saying, well, as long as people don't explicitly reject Jesus, you know, they don't have to follow Jesus, but they just, as long as they don't kind of reject him, that's okay. Jesus doesn't leave room for that. He doesn't leave room for the all roads lead to God thing. Because Jesus' clear claim here is that if you're not, Explicitly with him, then you're against him. Jesus divides humanity into two clear categories those who are with him and those who are against him. So you might be really positive about Jesus and you might have some really spot on ideas about who Jesus is. So you might think to yourself, well, I really like Jesus. I reckon he's a good guy, I reckon he's a great teacher, I even reckon maybe he was the Son of God, and I even reckon that maybe he was the Saviour of the world. But if you haven't actually given your allegiance to Jesus and kind of committed your life to Him, to following Him, then Jesus says, it doesn't matter what you believe about who He is, you're against Him. You're not actually with Him. And if that describes where you're at, then Jesus is saying to you this morning that you need to give your allegiance to him. Not to a whole other package of things, but to Jesus and to Jesus alone. Alternatively, for you, Jesus might be just that. He might just be a whole host of options. So you might think, yeah, I like Jesus. I really He's a great guy. He's, uh, I've given him my allegiance But actually, I've also given my allegiance to some other stuff as well. So there's a whole lot of ideas in Buddhism that I think are really helpful, so I've kind of adopted a lot of that. Uh, And I think there's some great ideas in Hinduism uh, that I really want to kind of use in my life. Uh, And, you know, I want to keep a part of my life, not for any religion, I just want to keep a part of of my life just for myself, you know, just to kind of think about how I want to live my life and, and do stuff for me. But Jesus is not saying here... I'd really love to be a part of your life. I'd love to be one of the options on the table. You know, I just love, I'd love if I could just have a, a piece of the pie. I'd, you know, 10% would be great. You know, and if you can stretch it out to 20 or 30, fantastic. Jesus is not saying, oh, I just want to be a part of your life. He's saying, actually, you either give it all to me, or you haven't given me anything at all. It's like saying to someone that you're married to, well, I'll give you 20% of my life. You know, I'll be 20% married to you. It doesn't work like that. You're either committed to them 100% or you're not committed at all. It's not Jesus plus, but Jesus only. In the federal parliament in the last year, we've discovered that being a dual citizen can disqualify you from holding public office. And likewise, to be a dual citizen of Jesus' kingdom means that you're not really a citizen of Jesus' kingdom at all. Because a divided allegiance is actually a sham allegiance. So Jesus is the king, he's God's king. If we're not with him, we're against him. But finally, Jesus sketches out the consequences of what it means to be against him. What does it mean if you're not with him? He says in verse 31... And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. What's, what's he getting at? Well, the basic point is that there's one thing that God isn't going to forgive. Now, Jesus says that God will forgive all kinds of words spoken against Jesus, but he won't forgive words spoken uh, against the Holy Spirit. But but what does that actually mean? In the context of this whole kind of episode, what Jesus means is actually abundantly clear. So the religious leaders have refused to accept who Jesus was. They refused to accept Jesus' authority. Uh, Jesus was God's king, but they, they didn't accept that. And Jesus says, whoever is not with him is against him. Uh, they were against him. Ultimately, the, that's the sin that cannot be forgiven. God can forgive all kinds of sins, all kinds of things that you might have said in the past about Jesus. You might have, uh, you might have totally mocked Jesus uh, in the words that you said and the life that you lived. But Jesus says, if you come to God through him, if you approach God through Jesus and his death and his resurrection in your place, then God is willing to forgive you for that. God's willing to cleanse you from having lived a life in rejection and rebellion against God's own king, his own son. And through that, through coming to God, through Jesus, you can actually begin a new relationship with God in which you start again with a clean slate. You start again, not as God's enemy, but as God's child. What can be forgiven is all kinds of words said against Jesus if we come to Him. But what can't be forgiven is the total and ultimate rejection of who Jesus is. That is, if you fail to accept the testimony of the Holy Spirit, that testimony is that Jesus is God, Savior and King, if you reject that, then there can be no forgiveness. If you reject who Jesus is and what He's done, Then you've cut yourself off from the source of God's forgiveness and the source of life. And you've decided willingly to live in rebellion and rejection of God's King. There can't be any forgiveness if you reject Jesus, if you don't entrust yourself to Him, because forgiveness and reconciliation with God comes only through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. You're either with him or you're against him. What's the end result? The end result, Jesus says, is judgment and condemnation. It gives me no pleasure to say it, but it's the truth that Jesus puts here in what he says. If someone is not with Jesus, the only outcome will be judgment for eternity for rejecting god's love and god's king and god's salvation in jesus christ and you and i either have to accept that jesus is a lunatic and a madman who does he think he is for claiming that we either have to accept that he's a lunatic and a madman or we have to accept that he's telling the truth and that he's right we have to make a call You have to make a call. I have to make a call. There's no middle ground. There's no place for saying all roads lead to God because Jesus won't let that be. It's him or nothing. And maybe you could say, well, all the other religions lead to God, but you can't include Jesus in that because Jesus says it's me or nothing. I want to encourage you If you haven't made a call on that, to really think hard about who you think Jesus is. And I want to encourage you, if you think that Jesus is one of many ways to God, I want to encourage you to really take time to listen to and to explore what Jesus says. I'd encourage you to read one of the biographies of Jesus' life. There's some on the back table. Uh, There's one by a guy called Matthew, another by a guy called Mark... Uh, You can read those. You can sign up for that course that Ollie talked about, digging into who Jesus is. I want to encourage you, if you think that Jesus is just one of many ways to God, or if you haven't made that call on who Jesus is, I want to encourage you to really dig deep into, keep digging deeply into who Jesus is. I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you to explore who he is before you write him off. And I want to encourage you to take seriously what he claimed about himself. That is, that he is the way to God, and there's no other way. I want to encourage you to do that, because if Jesus is right, that's amazing news. God's come into our world to establish his good, perfect rule in our world. He's come to establish his rule in our lives, to rescue us, to give us a relationship with him. Jesus is right, that's great news. But if he's right, that also means that the consequences of not being with Jesus are really heavy. Rejecting Jesus or making Jesus just one of a host of other options means eternity without God, under the wrath and the judgment of God. So let me encourage you to think really hard about who Jesus is and then to make a call on whether you're going to follow him or whether you're going to be against him. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, whom you sent into our world to put things right, to fix up the world, to establish your rule and authority in this world and in our lives, to rescue us from being your enemies into being your beloved children. And Lord, we pray that you'd help every one of us who's here today to know who Jesus is, that he's the way uh, to know you, the way to be saved. Lord, help each one of us to know that and to make a call on that. And help us not to make the call to reject Jesus, by your grace and by your love, He'll be each one of us to make the call to follow Christ and to give our lives to Him. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.